Brand New City. This is Ben Kent. I'm sitting here with Ryan Gowrich to talk about circles. And particularly, we have worked through the up, which is uh, hearing God's voice in Scripture, in, which is uh, bearing our souls to one another in transparent trust, out, which is um, being able to bless and move towards our neighbors uh, with intentionality. And now we're going to talk about pray. In the, you know, in some ways, this is kind of the, the, the piece that binds all the others together. Uh, because prayer is to the Christian what oxygen is to the human body. Uh, it just it invigorates, it inspires everything else. And so, um, Ryan, let's talk about prayer and specifically what what is this? Um, what role does prayer take or play in the experience of a of a circle? Well, um, my experience of it is in our circle. Um, it begins um, with prayer. Uh, prayer is sort of interspersed throughout our time, and then it ends in prayer. And mm-hmm. so uh, it really defines our time together, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, you're right. It acts as sort of a thread that runs through every other piece of that card mm-hmm. um, and really pulls them together in a way in which we're able to say, uh, God, everything that we're doing here is um, can't be done without you. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sense of dependency that we are um, living out when we introduce prayer into that space, and particularly it's been a few weeks since we've been on this podcast, but the last podcast was on the out section. Mm-hmm. And so I can't imagine an out section that didn't also um, uh, parallel with the prayer section mm-hmm. of the card. Same with the in and the up. Um, so, yeah, it's integral. It's at the end, but that doesn't mean it should be the last thing we do. It's something that we begin with and uh, we end with. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the actual circle gathering um, has a lot of prayer in it. Um, and, and really, that's just, it's, it's this acknowledgement that uh, while it's so important to listen well to one another, it's so important for us to even read and discuss and talk about Scripture. It's so important for us to disclose our souls and to tell stories of how God's at work in our lives. And um, there's something that shifts when you, when you move from talking about God to talking to God. Uh, and when you do that together, there's this way in which, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we had our circle this morning and um, there's this moment when we've, we've all kind of gotten done talking about where we're at and our life with God and, and confessing sin and talking about uh, struggles and triumphs and all those things where it just was appropriate. The only next thing to do, the right next thing to do was to lift our hearts, uh, as, as the Psalms will say, to lift up our souls to God mm-hmm. in prayer, uh, which is, um, I love that language because the soul is heavy and it can be hard to lift up our souls in prayer sometimes, but to do it together has this, uh, there's something about doing that together that's really mm-hmm. uh, powerful. Yeah, I want to share a quote from um, Tyler Staten on his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Um, he Which says, is a recommended book, by the way. Yes, I mean, highly. Very good. Yes. Uh, and as he says, for the he offers practices, and so it's very helpful. If you have a chance, check that out. Um, he says at the outset, most Christ followers spend far more hours turning over anxious thoughts than surrendering them in prayer. Mm. If it's right there, so plain and clear, why not take God up on such a satisfying exchange? Mm. Short mm-hmm. answer, we don't buy it. So there's a way mm-hmm. that we can approach these circles in which, like you said, we have this exchange happening between one another, and then we try to fix it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is this sort of cultural um, uh, persuasion that's happened in our souls that mm-hmm. tells us, like, hey, do, do you really believe that that works? Mm-hmm. And so what mm-hmm. I've loved about this pray section is there are rhythms to it, mm-hmm. morning, afternoon, and evening, mm-hmm. um, but that gets worked out in our short time together in the circle. So mm-hmm. what we've done in an hour and a half um, has bled out into my own life 
to where those same patterns um, mm-hmm. and moments of dependency um, that happen in you know that those 90 minutes on Tuesday morning for us mm-hmm. end up happening every day in my own life. And so I, rather than just trying to fix and solve on my own, the first thing that I find myself doing now because of the time we've spent together mm-hmm. and the sort of ways I've been shaped by the circle is offering it to God first. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's been really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. Well, and you put your finger on something, I guess, in the Tyler Satan quote, which is um, there's, there's, a, there's a lack, there's something that breaks down between us ruminating on our anxieties and us turning those anxieties Godward um, and bringing our hearts and minds before Him in prayer. And I think of two questions that usually kind of get at that for me, which is, one is, who do I, who do I think I'm talking to? Uh, like, do I think I'm talking to this, like, foreboding, dismissive, you know, uh, father figure who's demeaning and demanding that really wants nothing to do with me and doesn't really have time for me anyways? Or do I think I'm talking to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who's revealed as uh, the one who is a generous father, who is, uh, you know, the, maybe the defining revelation of God as Father in the entire Bible uh, is Luke 15. And so just a subtle, just a simple r- turn to, to say to our, you know, the, 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 the guy in Luke 15, the younger son goes, it says that he comes to himself and he goes, man, the, the servants in my father's house are treated better than this. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I should go home. And just that, like, that turning of our hearts toward the father to go home. And he runs to the end of the road to meet us and mm-hmm. throws the, you know, robe over our shoulders and kisses us yeah. and gives us the ring and slays the fattened calf. And I mean, he is so generous in his, like, this, the most subtle turning of our heart towards him is met with the most extravagant response from our father. But we don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and we don't believe that for a variety of reasons. Our personal experience, we don't feel that in that moment often. Uh, and, and hear me say, like, I don't feel that in the moment from God often. I think because he's trying to wean, wean us off of our sense uh, and, and, uh, and to build our faith, our confidence, our trust that that's really who he is. I think our, our own dads, our own, you know, upbringings, our own, you know, like we as fathers, uh, you and I know what it's like to, when our kids come to us the thousandth time doing the thing we told them not to do it, you know, a hundred times before. And we're like, are you serious? Are you coming again? Like having done this, that's not how the father's heart is. He's, he's so much more abundant in mercy and compassion and steadfast love and patience. And, and so we, we impose on God, our earthly fathers, um, rather than, um, rather than as earthly fathers trying to live up to the standard of who God is, right? So there's all these things that break down. And when we answer that, answer that question, who do we think we're coming to when we pray? But then the other question is, who do we think we are when we come to pray? Are we groveling sinners trying to like, you know, eke out some space in the crowd for God to give us a little bit of his attention? Or are we sons and daughters that, you know, when I, I'm sure you, your father heart moves towards your kids when you cry, when they cry in the middle of the night and you're exhausted and tired and you get up and you move across the house to go meet them whether it's I'm scared or I peed the bed or <laughs> threw up or, you know, like all of the things that you find your kids crying out to you in the middle of the night about. And that's the father heart towards his son or his daughter. And that's the father's heart towards us as sons and daughters in the son, capital S, King Jesus. And, and so there's just something about like the only person that gets to wake up the king in the middle of the night 
uh, for a glass of cold water is the child of the king. Mm. And so who do we think he is? Who do we think we are? Those two questions, if we can get them right, and by that I don't mean check the right boxes on a doctrinal test. By that what I mean is believe all the fullness of God's revelation to us in the scriptures. If we could, if we could really stand in the confidence of how God's disclosed himself to us and who he says we are, prayer would be as natural as breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something too we just read through was it 70 Psalm 71 yesterday <clears throat> over and over again there's the ask and also the uh proclamation by the psalmist that the father's ear is perpetually bent towards mm-hmm. him. So he's always listening mm-hmm. and wanting to listen to his children. Um I I would want to ask just real quick what role so in the praise section um our listeners might notice as they look at their own uh sheet um, if they have one in front of them uh, mm-hmm. that it's broken down into morning midday and evening yes so what role does that sort of pattern play in reorienting our hearts that's such towards a good God? question well let me answer that biblically and then practically so biblically this is going to be a this is going to be a sprint so bear with me listener lean in if you would psalm 55 says every evening and morning and at noon i utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice So out of that came this pattern of three times prayer, evening, morning, and noon. So there's this morning, this afternoon, and this, or midday, you could say, and then this evening prayer time in the Psalms. And that gets built out. So a little bit later in redemptive history, you've got the book of Daniel. And, you know, Daniel gets... um, He's in Babylon, and the trick that uh, the these kind of conspirators that hate Daniel, they play is um, they know his pattern of three times prayer is so formed in his life that they can catch him doing it if they make a law, if they have, you know, mm-hmm. the king make a law against it. And so Daniel is in exile um, in a foreign territory that is um, at, at best uh, has animosity towards his practice of his faith. We are in exile in a foreign territory that has is has growing animosity towards our practice of faith. And so um, Daniel, his practice of three times prayer, what we call here, he had a common rhythm of praying three times a day, actually sustained his soul in exile. That's a big deal. We get to the New Testament and we see that in the book of Acts, the early church, it says they devoted themselves, this is Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, I think that there's content and pattern talked about there. Because notice it says the prayers. Not to prayer, but to the prayers. The content is the book of Psalms, I believe. Mm. We see that in Acts 4. They're immediately praying Psalm 2. They're praying the book of Psalms to God. That's the content. But the pattern of prayer, when they talk about the prayers, is, I believe, this three times prayer. And so my argument for that is, in Acts 1, you see that the church is all together devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and the mother of Jesus, Mary, um, in Acts 2, it says that they're all together in one place. Uh, we can assume that they're praying in that time. And then they're accused of being drunk because the Holy Spirit's poured out on them. And, uh, and Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Peter's response is, these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m. That's the third hour of the day is 9 a.m. Now in Acts 3, we see Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So now we've got a 9 a.m. hour of prayer. We've got 3 p.m. hour of prayer. And then in Acts 10, it says that um, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a devout man who feared God, gave alms generously, and he prayed continually. And it says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw a vision. So he was at he was at prayer at the ninth hour of the day. It's again, 3 p.m. because he's a devout man. He keeps his prayers. 
But a little later in that same chapter in Acts 10, 9, it says that Peter went up to the housetop at the sixth hour to pray, which is noon. So we've got these three hours that are clearly shown in the early church, which is 9, noon, and 3 p.m., where the church just knew that these were the hours of prayer. This is when they gathered to pray. So they had some trellis uh, structure upon which the vine of their spiritual life grew. And so to have some structure, to have scheduled times of prayer is really important uh, if you actually want to have a life of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is actually, if we back up a little bit and we show the, the story of the, the crucifixion, um, in Mark 15, it says that at the ninth hour, they crucified Jesus. I'm sorry, the third hour, they crucified Jesus, which is 9 a.m. Uh, and Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So he's praying at that time. Then at the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. These are This is 12 to 3. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even on the cross, Jesus is keeping the three hours, the three times of prayer mm-hmm. in a real way. Which is, which is powerful. Yes. Um, and so he practiced three times prayer. And by the way, the content was the Psalms. Psalm 22, verse 1, he's praying. And the, pra- the pattern was three times prayer. And so there's something about Jesus being nailed to the cross at 9, Jesus under the darkness of judgment at 12, and Jesus dying at 3, and him crying out to the Father at these different points with the book of Psalms that should shape and form our prayer lives. Now, the, nowhere does the New Testament command us to do this. So hear me say, this is not a, a legalistic demand, but it describes this pattern of prayer. And I think the description is there for our encouragement and our endurance. And so uh, that's Romans 15 talks about that's the role the scriptures play. So we want to lean in and say, hey, the early church practiced this structured trellis-like pattern of prayer so the vine of their prayer life could grow up on it, uh, organized and organic. And so what we're saying is, hey, have a morning. I don't care if it's 9 a.m. or if it's 7 a.m., whatever that morning time is. Have a midday. It doesn't have to be 12, uh, just some midday time. And have an evening time of prayer um, to punctuate your day with prayer in order to practice dependence. Mm -hmm. And so that language is purposeful. Maybe it's a comma in the middle of your day. You're just like, comma, here's the rest of the day. Maybe it's the exclamation point at the end of your day. You know, this is your punctuating the day with prayer. Maybe it's a question mark. You just end the day with like, what happened today, Lord? Like, why why this? Maybe it's just a period. No big deal. Like, this is just how I'm uh, punctuating my day with prayer. And so here's the last thing I'd say. The reason why we do this is to begin to develop this pattern of interrupting our lives to practice the presence of God through prayer to assume that while you're at work about to step into a high-intensity, anxious meeting, maybe you're doing a presentation, maybe you're about to get reamed out for a failure. Oh, man, my alarm just went off on my phone. It's 11.55 a.m., and I'm supposed to pray the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that reorients me in that moment to love my neighbor in this meeting. What would it look like for me to step into this meeting with the love of neighbor and the love of God being my kind of north star Mm -hmm. rather than my own anxious, fearful foreboding about what's going to happen in this meeting? Yeah. Last thing I would say as we close here is that um, we began talking on this podcast, or at least early on, we mentioned the the idea of mutual responsibility. And I would say that that doesn't absolutely does not exclude prayer. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. it totally includes prayer. Um, Mutual responsibility isn't just making sure you have the right number of chapters read before you meet with each other Mm -hmm. or that you're meeting regularly with each other and showing up and dependable in that way. It means that I need to know that every other guy or woman in this group is praying throughout Mm -hmm. the week. I need to be surrounded by 
praying individuals, just as I'm committed to that. Mm -hmm. And if you are committed to praying in a way that is structured yet not insincere, you always say, you like to say that feelings follow Mm -hmm. faithfulness. Mm -hmm. If you approach it that way and trust that that will work, this ancient practice will actually work, Mm -hmm. um, I believe that circles will be experienced in an exponentially greater way. Yeah, that's well said. So we want the form, but we want the fill. Uh, Form without fill is dead. It's lifeless. It's got the appearance of godliness, but it denies the power. Uh, But fill without form is just this kind of like, uh, you know, you use the image of a wine and a wineskin, like wine poured out without a wineskin to capture it, to contain it. Uh, It's just wine poured out everywhere, right? And so you want to have these forms of three times prayer, but we want the fill of the Holy Spirit, this love for God, this love for neighbor to be really the the thing that's actually... um, enabling us to uh, to carry out this prayer of life, uh, this life of prayer. And so we're encouraging and challenging our circles to cultivate in our congregation this, this praying community, this culture of prayer. And circles are going to be one of the ways in which we uphold that. Yes.